You're listening to audio from Journey Bible Church. Join us every week for sermons from God's Word by subscribing to this podcast wherever you like to listen most. If you would like to connect with us, head to journeybible.org connect. You know, church, uh, if you are here and you're brand new, my name is uh, Mike Bickley, and I serve on staff here at Journey, and I serve Jesus. And what a privilege it is to be a part uh, of what God is doing here. And really, as a church, we want people to find Jesus, and we want people to follow Jesus. And we believe using God's field manual, the Bible, is the way that we help you best in finding Jesus and following Jesus. We believe God has revealed to us his will and his ways in his word. And when we take it and we break it open and we learn from it, and then, and then we seek to yield to it, to follow it, submit to it, we see God do great things in our lives. So if you've got your Bibles, turn to Ecclesiastes. We're going to walk all the way through chapter 2 and chapter 3 this morning. But to do that, we kind of have to do a flyover, uh, some touch-and-go landings. We won't read every verse. As a matter of fact, the verses that uh, Ian just read, we'll, we'll touch on those. But if you would turn there, uh, and then I just want to show you a picture because I'm going to come back to it. And you may be thinking, what is that? So let me tell you what that is. That is a set of plastic golf clubs for the newest toddler beginner. And, and that was a gift that was given to someone uh, in our household this Christmas. So I'm going to come back to that at the end uh, of, this, of the study we do on Ecclesiastes. And hopefully that is going to give uh, just, I want to whet your appetite um, for that story. Uh, not because uh, you should love golf like I love golf. Uh, but you're, I'm going to share a little bit about my struggle with life to make meaning out of things that seem meaningless. So let me, this morning, just review some key things we learned from last week that I hope will continue to help us to process the book of Ecclesiastes. Number one is Ecclesiastes is written more like a spiritual journal or a diary than it is an outline, uh, outlineable type of book. If you take Ecclesiastes, it starts with a preface in the first couple of verses, and it ends with a really hard conclusion, a good conclusion at the end. And in between, it feels like it wanders. And it's not really wandering as much as it is just the journey of King Solomon to figure out life by looking at life. So they're his spiritual reflections. In the middle of the book, there are phrases that are used over and over that help us to understand his processing. The first one is the phrase, under the sun. And what that means is to look at the tangible world, the material, physical world, and try to figure out meaning by just looking at the world. That leads him to this phrase, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. The word vanity in, means emptiness or futility or meaninglessness. So to say vanity of vanities is to say meaningless of meaninglessness. It's, it's, to, it's to emphasize that the pursuit doesn't lead us to where we want it to go. 
And then he uses this phrase, striving after the wind or chasing the wind. If you've ever chased the wind and caught it, I want you to come up here right now. And, and that's the idea he's saying is, I'm looking for meaning in the world by looking at the world. And as I do that, I can't find meaning. It's emptiness. There's no contentment, no satisfaction, no fulfillment, no identity. And so I feel like I'm chasing after the wind. I'm running hard all the time, and I'm never catching it. Ecclesiastes is a book for people with doubts. It's for people that are struggling, people struggling with meaning, struggling with purpose, struggling with futility, struggling with emptiness. It's a book that's very honest, very forthright, very poetic. Um, it can come across confusing if you don't take the time to join him in his pursuits and understand where he begins to shift gears. Ecclesiastes is a book for those in process. And, and it's, it's not only for those with doubts, but those who process things. Like, wrestle with things, want to ponder things, have a deep sense of justice and trying to figure things out. And the real issue in the book of Ecclesiastes is not can we get the answers, but can we trust God with our questions when we don't get the answers? Ecclesiastes also doesn't give us all the answers. And one way an author put it is to search is not always to find. And if you do find, it's not always to understand. So Ecclesiastes isn't going to give you all of the answers. What Ecclesiastes is going to do is point you to the locksmith, not the lock and the key. If you think of an illustration, right, the lock is, is meaning in life and the key is the thing that will open up meaning in life. And in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon is looking for the key to the meaning of life. He's searching for the key. And what he realizes is by looking at the lock, he can't find the key. And so what he's going to do throughout the book as he goes through that search is he's going to introduce us to the idea that there's a locksmith who's greater than the lock and greater than the key, and that it is from him that we can get our bearings. So this morning, we want to look at his struggle to figure out whether pleasure or wisdom or time or, or, or work will bring him meaning. And we'll be introduced to this concept now in the book that will come uh, to a crescendo at the end of eternity. That, that time is, is not just something that moves linearly. And we just mark out our days and then we're done and we die. That there's more than the physical, tangible world. And so in Ecclesiastes, we're going to work through chapters two and three this morning. So if you're there in chapter two, I want you to look at the first 11 verses. And I want you to see that he starts out by letting us know that he searched for meaning 
in self-indulgence, and he couldn't find it. He went after all the pleasures the world has to offer to see if that's where meaning was. Like, if I got all the pleasures the world had to offer, would I have meaning in my life? Verse 1, I said in my heart, come now, I will test you with pleasure. Enjoy yourself. But this was vanity. I said of laughter, it is mad, and of pleasure, what use is it? I searched with my heart how to cheer my body with wine, my heart still guiding me with wisdom, and how to lay hold of folly till I might see what was good for the children of man to do under heaven during the few days of their life. And then he continues in the next verses, and he talks about acquiring properties, and he, he talks about collecting wealth, and he talks about putting together the biggest harem of women to sleep with that anybody has ever had. And then in verse 9, he says this, So I became great and surpassed all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me, and whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I kept my heart from no pleasure, for my heart found pleasure in all my toil, and this was my reward for all my toil. In other words, everything he wanted, everything he looked on, he pursued. And he withheld from himself nothing. And then verse 11, he says this. Then I considered all that my hands had done and all the toil I had expended in doing it. And behold, it was all vanity and a striving after the wind, and there was nothing to be gained under the sun. You know, that word there, considered, means he had to face the facts. He had to come to reality about his seeking of wealth and pleasure. And no matter what he sought, money, possessions, sex, and he looked everywhere for pleasure, to find meaning, to give contentment, to bring satisfaction. He says it was all vanity. It was all futile. It was all empty. He was chasing the wind and not catching the meaning. The meaning to life stayed elusive. So next in his journal, he's going to talk about the search for meaning in wisdom, and maybe in folly also. And he's going to say that he didn't find meaning there. Verse 12, so I turned to consider wisdom and madness and folly. For what can man do who comes after the king? Only what has been done before. Then I saw there is more gain in wisdom than in folly, as there's more gain in light than darkness. So don't think that he isn't saying that Wise living is better than foolish living, or that light isn't better than darkness. Yet I perceive the same event happens to them all. And I said in my heart, what happens to the fool what ha is what happens to me also. Why then be so very wise? And I said in my heart that this also is vanity. For, the, for of the wise as of the fool, there's no enduring remembrance seeing that in the days to come, all will have been long forgotten and how the wise dies just like the fool. 
So he says, yeah, wisdom is better than folly. Light is better than darkness. But let's just be honest with ourselves. If we're looking just under the sun at the material, tangible, physical world, everybody dies. It's the great leveler. No one gets out of it. All of us will have to face it. This is what he says in verse 17. So I hated life because what is done under the sun was grievous to me. For all is vanity and striving after the wind. So if I just, if I just look at that, I realize that just pursuing wisdom doesn't unlock the meaning of life. By the way, remember, wisdom here is the best human wisdom man has to offer. Philosophers and all that goes with that. And he's just saying, and when I just search for meaning in life with that, it's not there. So then he begins to take his search a little further. Maybe, maybe work. Maybe the production of work will bring meaning to my life. And so that's what he begins to do. And if you look at verse 2, 8, chapter 2, verse 18, he considers all of his toil and his labor and the result of all that he's earned. And then he realizes, you know what? I'm going to die. And I'm going to leave my stuff to somebody else that I did all this hard work. And who knows that that person won't be a complete moron. I mean, that's the way he's wrestling. He's like, what is all of this all about if I'm going to gather all of this, have it all, and then pass it on to somebody who may not be wise with it, may squander it, may gamble it, may, may do nothing good with it. And he says in verses 22 and 23, what has a man from all the toil and striving of heart with which he toils under the sun, beneath the sun? For all his days are full of sorrow and his work is a vexation. Can I have an amen? amen. Even in the night, his heart does not rest. This also is vanity. In other words, just looking to work to give purpose and meaning to life brought mental anguish, vexation. It didn't give him sound rest at night. He's got sleeplessness and meaninglessness. And so the preacher, King Solomon, says that just pursuing that not only didn't answer his quest, it created its own sets of problems. You know, um, when I was a child, my parents listened to nightclub-style jazz, and there was a, a, a lady who sang named Peggy Lee. Anybody ever hear of Peggy Lee? Okay, a few of you out there. And, um, and she, uh, she has this song called is that all there is? So I, I want to just play a short uh, bit of the chorus for you. So, Bill, do you mind playing that for us? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. 
So she goes through the song. She starts out with her dad carrying her out in the middle of a fire. And she watches the house burn. And she, she then sings the chorus. That's the first one. And then the second one is she goes to the circus. And she watches the circus. And, and she watches what's going on. And she's thinking there's got to be more to life than the circus. And she goes into the chorus. Is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball if that's all there is. Then in the next stanza, she goes through uh, falling in love and that, and that first love being broken up. And, and she comes uh, to, to, to this place where isn't isn't is that all there is to love is that all there is to life is this all it has to offer if it is i'm just going to keep dancing i'm going to break out the booze if that's all there is and then she comes to sing that chorus again and she interrupts it and she pauses and and she does this kind of slow talk lyric that says i know what you must be saying to yourselves if that's the way she feels about it why doesn't she just end it all? Oh, no, not me. I'm not ready for that final disappointment because I know just as well as I'm standing here talking to you that when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'm going to be saying to myself, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all there is, my friends, let's just keep dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball, if that's all there is. Ecclesiastes isn't the only one who's wandered through life looking for the meaning of life at life itself and not finding it. And so what we now have introduced in the book of Ecclesiastes is that the search for meaning should actually point us to look to God to find the meaning that we search for, the purpose, the contentment, the fulfillment that our souls long for. There's nothing better for a person than he should eat and drink and find enjoyment in his toil. This also I saw is from the hand of God. And apart from God, him, who can eat or who can have enjoyment? And so now, in Ecclesiastes, this idea is going to be mixed in with the reality of the futility of his search, looking for the key to life, to unlock the meaning to life, at life itself under the sun. And he's going to now introduce this idea that there must be someone above the sun who has and holds the meaning of life, the one that we should look to. So we don't look for the key, we look to the locksmith. And we just read that passage that Ian read up here, right? How beautiful, how poetic is that, that there's a time and a season for everything. 
And then what we find is that that search for meaning is not even found in those times and events. We look for it, but the meaning itself is not in the event. And that's why in chapter 15, he, I mean, chapter 3, he helps us to realize that with the meaning not found in the time and events itself, we have to begin to search for meaning by looking someplace else than just the physical, tangible world and just the days that passed by by themselves. We have to think beyond the temporal to the eternal. The other way he will say this is you got to stop looking at the creation to find the meaning to life. You got to look to the creator to find the meaning in life. The physical, tangible world isn't going to satisfy the spiritual hunger of an eternal soul. So he gets to this place where he says, what gain has the worker from his toil? I've seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Also, he has put eternity into man's heart. Yet so that he cannot find out what God has done from the beginning to the end. Now, let me just give a a quick synopsis of that. What he is saying is even though man has this God-shaped vacuum, this hole in his heart that only God can fill, we have an eternal component made in the image of God. We have souls that will last forever. And so we are made with eternity in our heart. And therefore, we are busy with the search for meaning, the search for purpose, trying to figure things out. And he says, even though we have that, we by ourselves cannot figure out what God is doing from beginning to end because the only way we will know what God is doing is when he reveals it to us. I perceive that there's nothing better for them to do for them than to be joyful and do good as long as they live. Also, that everyone should eat and drink and take pleasure in all his toil. This is God's gift to man. Now, I want you to understand that when he's talking about taking pleasure here, it's not in the way that he was talking about seeking pleasure earlier. What he's saying is that when we understand that even when we don't figure out what God is doing from beginning to end, but we turn to him to give us the source of meaning for life. And we take it by faith, even in the tragic world in which we live, then the simple treasures of life have deep meaning. What Solomon is telling us is I want you to take life one day at a time. I want you to thank God for the good things in your life. I want you to trust God with the bad things in your life. The loss of a friend, uh, the loss of income. 
I want you to enjoy God's good gifts. I'll tell you, my wife loves flowers, and we have fresh-cut flowers in, in our house in the middle of winter. And, you know, if I just stop and smell them and look at them, there's, it's like, okay, there will be a spring. It's going to come. I woke up, it was 16 degrees out this morning, and I put the dog out, and I just wanted to find a flower <laughs> for a promise of spring. And ponder life. Ponder life not from just the tangible physical world and its tragedies and its successes. Ponder it from eternity. That's what Ecclesiastes, that's what Solomon is beginning to challenge us with. If you're on a search for meaning and the only place you're looking for meaning in this world is from the world, you'll never find it. It'll be like chasing the wind. It will be so vain and meaningless and futile and empty. You won't find your answer because you were created in the image of God. And you have eternity set in your heart, in your soul. And so the only place that you can find eternity, eternity fulfilled inside of you is by the eternal one. You know, I'm pretty sure we all have stories in our journey through life like Solomon. And uh, a time when we wrestled with life and the things that we just can't make sense of. And I want to share one of those times that, for me, that's recent. And um, I've written it out because I'm pretty confident I'm going to cry. But I feel like I need to share with you, like, like the real gut level sense of what Ecclesiastes is going after. I'm more of a thinker than an emotive person. And I, so I process most of my emotions internally. And then they show up in lightheartedness, and they show up in laughter, and then they show up with bawling at a rom-com that's not worth anything. You know, that's, that's the way my emotions show up. And so as I read and, and have been reading Ecclesiastes, I realized, guy, this, this dude is like pouring his heart out. Like, he's letting it all out there. And, and, and what's interesting is, I'm not judging the morality of how he's seeking to find meaning. I'm just reading what he's doing, and I'm realizing he's telling us he's trying every which way, but every which way, and he's going to go try that way, and he's not finding it. And then he's giving us these clues as to what he's learning about this search. And and so I, I want to do that with you this morning. As a young Christian growing up in a broken home, I could not figure out God's wisdom. I could not figure out God's plan, but I learned this little mantra. When I can't figure out God's plan or what God is doing, I can lean into his love. So that kind of became my mantra. And so I want to tell you about these golf clubs. So what happened was um, a few years ago, uh, we were having dinner with my son and his wife. And, and in that dinner, they brought out these golf clubs. And I'm thinking, plastic golf clubs? I'm a real golfer. And I'm, what are these all about? And then they, they said something about a baby and grandpa. And I'm, I'm, I'm sitting there thinking, what good are plastic golf clubs? And, and when the word grandpa came out, like, I lost it, like, I cried like it was so beautiful. And I'm thinking, man, 
I had no idea. This is, I, no offense to my son in the, in the moment, but this is better. You know, like this just feels so wonderful. And so those golf clubs kind of became, uh, you know, a symbol of the beauty uh, of what is going on. And, and so I put them in my home office as a constant reminder uh, of what was coming. And then they miscarried. So we've been through miscarriages, and, and so we hurt with them, and we were crushed, we were confused, but we were trusting God. We knew he had a plan. And so I told myself, man, I'm hanging on to these golf clubs till they're pregnant again. God, I know this is hard, but I'm clinging to you. I don't see your wisdom, but as I always have, I'm going to lean into your love. So I, I put those clubs a little bit out of view. I put them in the closet in my home office. And then they got pregnant. And then it just jump started the cycle of hope and love. And we were all a little timid and we were all a little worried, you know, because we didn't know uh, what to do, so to speak. And yet we started praying and we started planning and then they miscarried for the second time. That was agonizing. And I'm not the one carrying the babies just hurting alongside of them and wondering, what is God's plan? How, do, how does this make sense? Where, where is there the good in this level of disappointment and pain? So I told God that stuff. And I just said, man, I, I can't see a plan in the midst of this, but as I always have, I'm going to tell you, I need your love more now than ever. And so I moved the clubs away from the front of the closet to the back of the closet. Like, shove them in the corner, and then they got pregnant. Man, we were all hesitant to be hopeful. Like, you know what that feels like, third time in a row. And so we prayed, though, and we believed and we hoped, and they miscarried again. And, man, didn't know what to do with that. You know? So I started stacking stuff on top of the golf clubs in the back of the corner of the office closet. And I asked God, is this your plan? Is this your plan? This feels crushing. It feels pointless. It feels empty. It feels excruciating. I want to go back. I want to go back to having kids. I want bruised knees. I want broken arms. I want a kid cut from the team. I want someone to make it F in school. I, I don't want this. I don't want to parent grown children. I don't know how to do this. It's so confusing. Then they got pregnant again for the fourth time. Every day of that first trimester felt like a week. But we prayed because we knew nothing else to do. I had no better alternative. At times, I couldn't find words. I didn't, I didn't know how to give encouragement. I didn't know how to give hope. I, I didn't know what words would, would, would soften and what words might strike a chord. And you, you just didn't know what to do. And I just didn't understand what God was doing. And I just leaned into his love. 
And he gave him a daughter. So beautiful. And through that whole pregnancy, we were on pins and needles. And so this Christmas, in preparation for her first Christmas, I got in my closet and I dug out those golf clubs. And I gave them to her. She'll never know what they mean. She'll never understand the pain her parents went through. Not to mention her, her grandparents. And I share this with you because she wakes up in the morning. She's so full of life. Now, when I hold her and give her a bottle, it means so much more. When I sit on the floor with her and she's trying to figure out how to crawl, and as an engineer, I'm trying to show her, you know, it's, it's, it's so delightful. Putting her in the stroller and walking her around the block, there's meaning in the simple treasure joys of life. That's the message that Ecclesiastes is getting to, is stop and enjoy the good gifts of God and let those moments bask in your heart with deep meaning. Church, there is a God. He has a good plan. He has set eternity in my heart. And when I can't figure out his plan, I will lean into his love. Let's pray together. God, thank you that um, you get us beyond and past all of the junk that comes in this world and all the tragedy and all of the agony. And God, we just believe that you are good, that you are loving, that you care, and that you can run the world better than we ever could. And so we choose when we can't see with the eyes that can understand, we choose to trust with the heart that depends upon your love. It's in your name we pray. Amen. This podcast was produced by Journey Bible Church in Olathe, Kansas. If you're interested in learning more about our church, visit journeybible.org. Thanks for listening.